Welcome to the Speaking Light into Abortion podcast, where I talk about all the reasons it's possible for you to thrive after your abortion. I'm your host, Amanda Kingsley, and two years after my own abortion, I certified as a life coach so I could serve women after abortion in all the ways they've been deserving and lacking for centuries. Consider this your launchpad for finding strength and community in yourselves and in each other. All right, another happy podcast week. Today I have a guest, um, really interesting story. I have Karen Thurston here. And she had been following my Instagram page for a while, but not as her name from her website name. And I didn't put it all together. And I, last week, I found one of her articles that was connected to a completely different website. And I said, I have to have this woman on the podcast. I need to figure out who she is. <laughs> and went through a series of like different clicks, I went, oh my goodness, that's a woman who's been following my Instagram page. <laughs> so I immediately messaged you, Karen, and said, can you come on the podcast? I love what you're doing. I love what you're talking about. And it's all sort of circling together for me. So thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. <laughs> so Karen Thurston, um, I'll explain more, but she runs the website 2plusabortions.com, uh, simple. And, um, and we'll, put a link to, we'll put a link to the article that I read and went, oh my goodness, I have to have this woman on, but also to your website in general. So to get started, I'm just going to read some of my thoughts about where I was at with considering having this one abortion and thinking like, well, what if there were more? What if there were more unplanned pregnancies in my future? And we'll see where that, we'll see where that leads us today. Sounds good. All right. So we didn't find out the sex of our first baby until she was born. There are so few joy-filled surprises left in life that this was one I chose to hold sacred for all three of my full-term pregnancies. When my first daughter was born, I remember thinking, phew, I won't have three boys. I've been a mom at heart since I could hold a baby on my hip. As long as I can remember, I've had this strange, irrational fear about having three boys. Can't say where it came from, but two daughters later, I still have it sometimes. It still floods into me which is proof of its absolute absurdity. After my abortion, my two plus abortion fear kicked in. It felt oddly similar and as strong as my pregnancy fears. It was a dark light connecting my womb to my thinking brain. I was afraid to have sex. I didn't trust my body. I couldn't wait for my periods to come. One abortion I could handle, two would surely be the death of me. How could I walk back in that office again? How could I tell anyone? Where could I possibly find support? Could I ever trust myself or my body again? Turns out this fear, all these questions spinning in my brain, they weren't so irrational after all. This fear was learned. My two-plus abortion fear stunk of cultural stigma and habitual shame. It was learned from all the messaging around me, and thus it could be unlearned. Now, with commitment to my own well-being and to understanding the women all around me, I've completely overcome it. 
pregnancy happens, and sometimes abortion is the outcome. Abortion is an intimately personal choice, and sometimes it's a choice we make over and over again. Decisions to have abortions are no more a public matter than our decisions to have children. Have one or 10, no one has the right to judge you or how you live your life. Someone else's reaction to your reproductive well-being is a reflection of whatever they are feeling and healing in themselves. There are many reasons a woman may choose to have one or more child. And there are many reasons a woman may choose to have one or more abortions. So welcome again, Karen. Um, I love what you write right at the top of your website, sharing truth, spreading love, stopping stigma, supporting people all around the world who have abortions, any reason, any number. Well, thank you, thank for you so much for having me again. And just listening to you right now was such a beautiful experience for me because mm. I've actually never heard another person speak words like that to me. I've read things, uh, positive support, but just hearing your voice and hearing you say all the things I think about every day about how we learn to not trust ourselves and how we learn yeah. to shame ourselves. Um, it's a beautiful experience. It's a beautiful thing what you're doing to um, verbalize and make audio so people can actually hear your voice. And I know that you're helping a lot of people. Oh, thank you so much. The podcast has been so fun for me. And I'm not sure what episode yours will be, but today I'm releasing episode 18 and I'm really excited about where it's headed. It just feels like, like you're saying, it's such a good way. I remember when I had my abortion, you know, you, you're not sure how much you want to come out of the closet, who you want to talk to, who you want to lean into for support. And so I feel like this ability to listen and to get to know somebody and trust other experts in the field um, is so powerful and super excited. I took the leap. <laughs> well, I'm so glad you did because we need more. We need more and more people to do this. And um, actually hearing the voices of people who have experienced abortion care is what really helped me to understand that I was not alone. Um, there's another podcast called the Abortion Diary yeah. podcast. It's not active now. It's more of an archive. But even when I started listening to those in 2013, I had no idea that anyone else had ever had more than one abortion. I, at that time, believed I was the only one. And yeah. as I listened to episode after episode, people were sharing, you know, that they had experienced more than one accidental pregnancy and had ended more than one accidental pregnancy. And it was just, I can't even describe the feeling. It was just magical and wonderful and uh, amazing. So I know that the work that you're doing is going to really help people just so that yeah. they can hear, they can hear people's actual voices. I'm so glad you found that podcast and you are among many, many women who have found so much relief in that podcast. Do you remember how you found it? Um, you know, it was accidental how I found everything because I had been silent about my two abortions for decades oh. and, and had only told my husband after 17 years of marriage, and it was very difficult to tell him. And after telling him, I decided I was going to tell my two grown sons 
about it. And so that's when I told them was in 2013. And the public shaming, the messaging that you hear and internalize was so strong for me because of so many decades and living in the American South, you know, the Bible belt of, of our country, um, just hearing negative messages. Uh, when I told them I was terrified, but once I did, um, I started learning more mm. and just got online. My older son helped me navigate some social media because I just wasn't active on the internet. And I accidentally discovered things and it was, yeah. it was amazing. It was, it was mind blowing to find people actively working to try to solve this problem of stigma. And I was so mm. grateful. And I worked as a teacher's assistant in an elementary school. And I can remember every day I would rush home and I'd put in my earbuds mm. and I would listen to that podcast. I think there, at that time there were 88 recordings and I listened to every single one and I was just absorbed in all the stories and I felt for the first time a belonging and in, in a kind of community and it was it was wonderful wow oh my goodness what an amazing story so how old were your sons when you decided to tell them yeah my sons were in their late 20s oh, so, wow. yeah so it was a long time living with the fear that they might not love me anymore mm. and it was a it was an irrational fear but it's so huge fear can become so big in your mind mm -hmm. when you can't release it anywhere when you can't talk about it and um i didn't really believe that i was a murderer but i kept hearing that i was so i just figured everyone else would think that and um, but once I told my sons, they were so compassionate. Uh, they just embraced me. And even my older son, he kept calling me for weeks afterwards. Mom, still love you. <laughs> oh my goodness. I have full body chills. And there's something about you telling your sons versus daughters, which are both super important. Yes. Um, my son is only six and my daughters are 13 and almost 16. So I've had the conversations with them, but there's something about you telling your sons that is just so incredibly special. Do you mind sharing the catalyst for this shift in you to share this with your husband and your sons? What, um, what happened? I, so actually I had been, <clears throat> I had been involved in a, in a church in, in Georgia, <clears throat> excuse me, and I had met a woman there and she became a good friend. And we were actually in a program called the Stephen Ministry, which is a lay minister program where you provide emotional support to members of your church. It kind of relieves mm -hmm. pastors from having all the, the job on themselves. And so we've become good friends and we were walking one day down a country road and it was a beautiful day, I'll never forget. The birds were singing on the fence posts and the sun was shining and she opened up to me about having an accidental pregnancy when mm -hmm. she was young. Um, but she was one of the women who was sent away. She was older than I was. So she um, was sent away to have her baby and then the baby was given away and she never knew where that baby went. And her opening up about her pregnancy experience, even though it wasn't about abortion, yeah. It just made me open up to her 
And then it was, it was actually a couple years later, she kept telling me, you should tell your husband, I think he would understand. And I would mm. say, no way, no way. Mm. You know, he'll leave me. He'll be so disappointed in me. There's no way. But finally, I just couldn't contain it anymore. And mm. actually one day he was actually getting ready for work. And I just was so pent up with it. I just, I just started crying and telling, and there's something I have to tell you. There's something I have to tell you. Oh my he was goodness. shocked. He had no idea what it was. And when he yeah. found out what it was, he was just like, oh, what's, is that all? Okay. <laughs> right. I know. I can, of course, all of us are imagining a million things running through his brain. And so what a relief. But what a big moment. What a big moment. It was. And he just held me in his arms mm. and just held me. He was late for work and <clears throat> he just held me in his arms and he said, I love you. Oh. nothing that you could have ever done that would make me stop loving you and my oh. sons were the same way so I'm so lucky oh you're gonna make very, me cry very conscious though of how lucky I am and how mm -hmm. how many other people do not have that kind of family love and it breaks my heart and they they simply can't tell the truth or if they do they they can be rejected from their families and so I know that I'm lucky in a million gazillion ways. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Do you remember the relief you felt in the weeks and months after that, not just in that moment? It's interesting because, um, you know, the shame is, it feels like it's part of my cellular makeup because I was so young. So you mentioned you have a 13 year old daughter. Well, that's how old I was. Wow. When I and I didn't understand anything about sex, I didn't know what was happening. It was a first time encounter with an older guy, um, and you know I just from that age. And then the the second abortion was when I was nineteen and in an unhealthy relationship. And so that's a long time. I was in my fifties when I came out. So can you imagine? I can't. And and particularly when you're that young when you're in your teens everything imprints so strongly your your emotions are intense your body is changing and so yeah I I did I felt relief that my family still loved me but I still felt a lot of shame and yeah. and truly the the hardest part about it was that it was two abortions and for the longest time, I couldn't even say the word abortion. So when I look back at my early advocacy, I would write things and I would, I would not use the word abortion mm. because it just felt weaponized. It felt like a weaponized word mm. and it hurt me. You know, it, it seems like it was a word used to hurt me and used to shame me. So, but now I'm, I'm saying it because I understand it's important to um, smashing the stigma is yeah. to use the word. I have so many questions for you. So one comment I just want to make is that, you know, you've said you're in your fifties and I have had so many women, older women in their sixties and even older say to me, like, I've never told anyone. Yes. And I think there's an amazing opportunity. Do you do any work with women who are 50 plus you know, in their 60s, 70s, 80s, who want to let this secret go? You know, I try to reach out to everyone um, across all generations, but I'm very conscious of the fact that, that older women 
especially living in the South, have kept, have kept it a secret. And so what I do, I don't have any groups or anything um, where I meet with people, but I'm always in conversation, trying to be in conversation with people. Mm. And it's been a gradual process, so it was very hard at first. But now I'm, I'm very open about saying to people, you know, I had two abortions and I'm amazed. I'm amazed at how many older women in my age group or older have told me not only that they had one, but that they had more than one. It's, it's unbelievable to me. And, and actually I say it's unbelievable, but through the research and um, the self-education I've done, it's, it would be shocking if, if people didn't have more than one because let's face it, our years of fertility are very long. Yeah. It's, it's 30 years. It's three decades of trying to prevent pregnancy yeah. and, and birth control is, is flawed. It's not perfect. All the, all the methods fail. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my goodness. So another question I have for you after hearing you tell your story is what was, what has your relationship with your religion and your church been since sharing your story and stepping out in this public way? I mean, you have a website, you talk about it, your articles are in multiple places. What's that been like? Well, I think like all of us, we're a work in progress and it's been a journey, but I am no longer Longer active in any church. Mm-hmm. I've been sickened by the politis- political atmosphere um, overtaking religion. I've become more aware of how the roots of the shame that we're told we need to carry is firmly embedded in religion. Mm-hmm. And so I, so I, uh, I think about it a lot. I miss that aspect of my life in terms of having a community, but I am so frustrated by how religion, you know, has prevented women from loving themselves and from making their own decisions and from trusting themselves. So um, I'm, I'm still a spiritual person. I Mm -hmm. still have faith in something larger than myself, but I feel like an important part of my work is to ask people to reflect on where the teachings come from in all religions and at the risk of saying something controversial that might upset any of your listeners i i'm just speaking my truth here i feel Mm -hmm. like it's very important that girls and women and people who can get pregnant understand that all of the holy books and all of the religions were formed by men and that the inner wisdom of people who can get pregnant is not there. Yeah, yeah. And so that's my personal feeling mm. anyway. And um, so I just want people to reflect about their spirituality and their religion and not let the shaming messages harm them. Yeah. Yeah, and that it's okay to believe in God, spirit, universe, you know, Buddha, all, what, all the things, yes. Jehovah, whatever it is to you, it's okay to believe that and not maintain all the beliefs of the structured religion. Yeah. Um, 
it's important to say that that's a scary thing to do. It was yeah. actually scary yeah. for me to question the Bible and to question what I had been taught. It felt like, you know, here's something else God will punish me for. And it has yeah. taken me a while to realize that I don't believe in a, in a higher power that is punishing. I believe in a yeah. power that is totally unconditional love. Mm -hmm. And, and so that's, that's where my spirituality is, is really trying to live that, just trying to be the unconditional love that we all deserve and need and just trying to, and like what you are doing, you know, yeah. you are, you are expressing unconditional love and compassion for people who, um, who are struggling and, and yeah, I think you're an exemplar of oh, the higher power in action. Thank you so much. And yeah, I, I do feel like I did not, I was not raised with religion. My parents were um, both raised Catholic, went to Catholic school, um, but they didn't, they sort of took their own journey and it wasn't even spiritual. It wasn't necessarily atheist, but we never talked about God. We never talked about spirit. We never, you know, my dad had connections to different native teachings. Um, I found like, like you're saying, like my belief in some kind of higher power later as an adult. Um, but so many listeners have been raised with religion and abortion really stirred up big, big feelings. So I didn't expect this conversation to go in this direction. I didn't know your story totally, but I think these are such important stories to tell that you can thrive after you know that encounter with all of your belief systems <laughs> yes and actually it's a it's a beautiful growth process that is wonderfully liberating when you start trusting your own inner wisdom oh. it is the most beautiful feeling especially when you haven't done it for so long <laughs> yeah yeah and and I, I just have to say that I'm very lucky and privileged and it is a privilege of older white women like myself to learn more and to understand that the culmination of all the shaming and judgment that comes from religion and politics is preventing people from being able to access abortion care. Yeah. And that is the most critical problem facing, facing girls and women today yeah. is that especially poor people, uh, people of color, people who are facing many other kinds of oppressions are not able to access care. And especially in the South where many restrictions have been passed, statewide mm. restrictions by lawmakers. So as an older white woman, I'm retired. I have the time to invest in trying to, um, you know, to try to have an impact and use my voice because I was silenced mm. for so long. So now I'm very, passionate and excited about using my voice, even though I have to say, it is not fun to have to stand up in front of people and say, I had two abortions. It's so hard. Right. Even after all this, it's still hard. Yeah. yeah. I totally yeah. agree with you. I totally agree. It's like, we, we do so much self-work and so much healing. And then we think like, I even somewhere in here, I wrote, um, I've completely overcome that fear 
of two plus abortions. And I wrote the words and I was like, have I really completely overcome it? <laughs> no, I haven't, but I've completely overcome my, like, I know that I will handle it. I know that I will heal from it. I know that it won't break me the way it would before. But yeah, I mean, just because we're out here doing the work and using our voice and supporting other women, like, these yeah. are really, really ingrained pieces of who we are to, to have, still have the fears and still have the, the moments of shame or stigma or judgment. And we're just human. We yeah. just happen to be sharing our voice a little more publicly than exactly. That. Yeah. And yeah, I don't think the fear ever goes away. And also, I think, you know, reproduction, pregnancy issues, all the outcomes are profound experiences. So it's entangled with who we are, our identities, our values. It's, it's, it's entwined, you know, pregnancy outcomes, all the many different ones, they're just entwined with our personhood. And the fact that it bothers us and bothers many women, I think is just a reflection of how caring and loving we are. Mm. And, you know, I try to tell people who, worry that they're going to hate themselves forever if they end a pregnancy or an, or another one you know all their reasons are valid and they're often about wanting to be the best mother they can to the children they already have yeah. um, you know i just i just feel like women girls and women really care and want to do the right thing but sadly we're painted as um terrible. We're just, I don't even want to repeat the anti-choice talking points about what they say about us and how much they seem to hate us. But I do also want to add that I experienced shame, messages of shame within the pro-choice movement. Yeah. And this I, is really, totally this, is agree. this is important because yeah. people who say they are are pro-choice will revert to anti-choice or anti-abortion talking points when somebody has more than one. And so that's, that's where part of my work is, is just trying to help educate people that it's complicated. Yeah. I think a lot of my resistance in talking about abortion, even for many, many years, because I was a women's studies major, I was a birth and postpartum doula. I was very much in like the women's reproductive world. And I, considered myself pro-choice but I didn't really understand it and it and there was this level of discomfort that I couldn't explain now that I'm in the work I completely agree with you um, and I think that is our work is is finding that middle ground and neutralizing like what feels like a black and white argument and is can be very hostile on both sides Absolutely. And that's really hard for some deeply pro-choice like advocates to accept and to see, but it is, it's almost more painful sometimes <laughs> than the other side. Yeah. yeah. It really is because I have to say when I first started in advocacy work, I had, I had this dream like oh i've found my people <laughs> yeah, yeah totally but it's just not like that yeah and, yeah and there's a little envy for the people who have abortions but work against the right for other women because they are usually enveloped warmly into a community with their church and so i think that's 
one reason why it's been so hard for, for people who've had abortions who support abortion rights to, to feel comfortable to speak openly. They just don't have that cohesive belongingness in a, in a group. It's, yeah, it's, it's just not there for, for us. Yeah. I mean, yeah. community driven people. And so we're always asking ourselves the question, am I in the circle or am I outside the circle? Yes. And we're always looking for our circles. And it's really, it's sometimes really hard when you think you found your circle, like you're saying with, you know, once you started the advocacy work and then you realize they're not, Yeah. you know, like I do agree with much of this movement, but it does not resonate with me in all the ways yes. that you're, that you're portraying it. Oh yeah. my goodness. Well, I have so many questions for you still. <laughs> so are you, and you can, you don't have to answer anything I ask, but as a parent of a 13 year old and a nearly 16 year old, do you have words of wisdom for any mothers listening who are navigating sexually active teenagers by choice or not by choice? Well, and by choice, I mean the teenagers. Yeah, I, I think it's, it's very complicated and it's hard for every family because every person is individual, every family is individual um, and unique. But the, the, the simple short answer is to be honest, open, keep the lines of communication open and be you know, willing to educate your children about the truth and the facts. And so it's, to me, it's, it's criminal to not tell your children the, the facts of reproduction and, and healthy relationships. So mm. I'm a big supporter of, of sexual education, relationship education, and, and just keeping the lines of communication open. So here's, here's my strategy. It really worked well for me with my sons. Mm -hmm. it might not work with daughters. But if we were ever having a heated argument about something, um, and I really wasn't getting through to them about something, not just about you know relationships, but I would always wait until a day later or when temperatures were down and their anger was down, and I would try to come back to that topic with respect for their view as my, as my, you know, most uppermost thought is like, I want to communicate them with them that I respect them as individuals. And so often we were able to actually communicate and talk things out. Um, and that worked very well. And my children learned and they know that I truly did respect them and their opinions and their experiences. Now, I did not have that myself growing up. Uh, I was at that generation where my my dad was off at work. My mom was uh, the authoritarian of the home. Children are to be seen and not heard. Um, she did not value my feelings. I, every time I would try to express my feelings, it was, that's ridiculous. Mm. Uh, so, and I'm not blaming her. I mean, I love my mother. I know she did the best she could. Yeah, yeah. But I was very thankful that I was able to not do that to my to my sons. And so respectful communication is key. How did you get the care that you needed from a parent who was in that authoritative role? Well, I, I really didn't. <laughs> so, um, yeah. Well, I, I mean, 
how did you access information about abortion even? Well, uh, well, okay, that's a great question. I'm glad you asked that. So this is the interesting thing. I was so young and I didn't even know what was happening to my body when I was 13, mm. but I started having the symptoms and I was throwing up every morning and my mother realized what it was. And so she took me to a doctor and that was my first ever pelvic exam, but she didn't prepare me for it. She didn't tell me what was happening. We had no conversations. Wow. Um, my parents simply told me, we're going to take care of this and you're never to speak of it ever again. Wow. And they never did. Oh. They, they never, ever spoke of it after that day when I had an abortion. And it was wow. so traumatic because oh. I've never... I just didn't even know they didn't explain how oh, it was just yeah. oh, and terrible. anyone listening with children knows the, the what it's like to have a 13 year old right like we can remember it as ourselves but also to see that child i mean she's yeah. still a child yes yeah. exactly oh, exactly so i think what would have helped me would have been compassionate conversation but it just my mother was just not capable. It's not that she withheld that from me. She just didn't have it to offer. It's yeah, just who yeah. she is. It makes total and sense. So I, I was a loner. I just spent a lot of time in my room alone and did not learn to trust myself or my own thoughts or my own feelings. Yeah. Because she, the constant message I got was, that's ridiculous. Why would you feel that way? Um, so part of my role as a teacher's assistant was I actively really tried to just instill in little girls. I was kindergarten and first grade. I would just so much try to instill in them that they were smart and that their feelings were valid and they could trust their instinct. And I'm very grateful I was able to, to do that kind of work before I came out about my abortions. Oh, you are such an incredible human being. Aww. Amazing, amazing, amazing. And you know, we brought this up a little bit earlier. I think even in all this work I'm doing, facing raising two teenage girls, like I, I would have a lot to work through. Should yeah. one of, and we, we have very open discussions about sex and birth control and pleasure and all the things. That's but fantastic. Still, that though, you know, it'd be a lot. Of, it'd be a lot of self coaching and a lot of inner mind work for me to navigate those waters and I want to do it the best way I can but there would also be that that moment like those not multiple moments I'm sure of freak out and a whole new yes. level of shame as a mother and oh yeah yeah and oh, mothers are so, so hard on ourselves <laughs> so hard on ourselves but just know you know if you love your kids and and try to value mutual respect then you're doing the best you can and you can't yeah. control them and you can't control. There's so much we can't control. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. Except our willingness to love, which yes. is, which is what yes. you know. to love yeah. unconditionally. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, do you, the article, we have a few more minutes here. It's, you know, sometimes I try and stick to a half hour, but it's nearly impossible. <laughs> well, I'm um, happy to talk to you forever. So. No, right? It's like <laughs> you get into it and you're like, there's so many directions to go. But the article that I will link to that attracted me to your work again, even though I'd already explored it, the reason I re-explored it was something you wrote about 
our language in using the word abortions instead of abortion in as many places as we can. And really thinking about how even those of us who are working toward breaking down the stigma may be still contributing to it with our language. And of course, the perfectionist in me had a complete freak out moment, like, oh my goodness, how many times have I offended people or said the wrong thing? Oh, or you? But, you know, I know by now how to talk myself down from that. And, um, and then just be open to learning and to hearing more and to paying attention a little bit more and thinking a little wider. But do you want to share a little bit about that for listeners yeah. who are, you know, maybe offering care and support and can integrate language into their, into their work? Yeah. So basically, you know, I don't have any magic answers and I'm, I'm a work in progress, learning as I go. And one thing that always bothered me as I started the advocacy was always seeing an abortion. Um, all the, all the, you know, the social media messages, the messages from abortion funds and physicians made abortion singular. And so it, it has normalized that a person can have an abortion, but I didn't see my, my own experience reflected. And for example, when I met the woman who does the abortion diary podcast, she had a bag, a big black bag that she carried and on it, it said, I had an abortion and I kind of laughed. I said, well, gee, I'd have to have, I'd have to like cr cross out the word and and put the number two and an S for, for this bag to reflect me. And it was kind of a joke, but it continued to bother me that um, I felt like that was part of the stigma that I felt that no one ever recognized that it's, it's actually common. In fact, half of all US abortion patients report having one or more previous abortions. It's much more common than people realize. Wow. Yeah. But I didn't, I, didn't, I didn't actually start actively pushing for people to pluralize abortions until after I read an article that filled me with fury. <laughs> mm -hmm. and, and, I, and it was an anti-choice article. And I realized that the people who are opposed to abortion, they say we are one thing. They say we are a bad group of people. We're, we're murderers, we're a monolithic, monstrous kind of people. And that got me to thinking Which about- Which clearly we are. I mean, look at us. <laughs> Sorry, I just had to. I know, I know. It's okay, like... and this awful article got you to thinking what? <laughs> well, it just made me realize there's more than, you know, it's a, it's a really good reason to pluralize abortions because it makes people like me feel seen and heard yeah, yeah. and accepted and included. So that is, that's the main reason for me, but also there's so many other good reasons to do it. Yeah. And, and one is to push back on this idea that we're one dimensional, a monolith, you know, there are different kinds of abortions. So that's a plural. There's millions of people who experience right. abortions. That's a plural. Right. Everything about it is, is multifaceted and complex. And so I think adding the S is another way mm -hmm. to demonstrate that abortions are an outcome, a valid outcome of pregnancies, just as birth, miscarriages, um, you know, 
abortion. Yeah. And I can see how just in my own journey, how talking about my one abortion at the beginning, it was like, well, I can heal from this mistake. Right. I just won't make it again. Right. Oh, yes. <laughs> and so, so much of that language is implying that you've done wrong and you've learned from it and you're yes. not going to let it happen again. You get one pass. It's like you're easy. Right. You get one pass, but beyond that, oof, now we're yeah. just talking about like, absolutely. did and you learn your that. lesson? <laughs> exactly. That's what, and that's, what we, that's what we do to ourselves. But yeah. I think the key to that is getting abortion providers. They usually um, counsel people about contraception. And I think there needs to be much more comprehensive education about contraception and how it fails. And, you know, I know it's a, it's a profit driven business, you know, to produce contraception and sell it. And, and I understand there's many complex factors involved. And that's why we don't hear as much about the failure rate of contraception. Mm -hmm. And the, they advertise the failure rate for an annual basis. But the fact is that um, the risk a failure compounds over time. And as you know, women spend a lot of time trying not to get pregnant. And I want to come back to a, a point that you made earlier about how the fear um, affects your, you know, your desire or can affect your sex life. I think you mentioned yeah. something like Oh that. my goodness. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's, that's a real problem for, yeah. for girls and women. It doesn't affect boys or men, and that's so unfair. Right. Um, but, you know, I try to tell people that if we can come to understand that abortions are a legitimate, valid part of birth control, you know, that can help people understand, yes, I will do all I can to prevent pregnancy so that I can enjoy intimacy. I will find a method that works for me. I will do my best. I'm human. I, a life event like a death in the family or a divorce or anything, it, that might interfere with how I use, maybe I'll miss a pill. All those things. Yes, do all those things, but understand deeply that when contraception fails, it's great when it works, but when it fails, abortion is a wise, loving, valid, reasonable, rational form of controlling birth. Yeah, that's what we need to teach yes. along with the sex ed birth yeah. control. Yeah. Yeah. It, 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 it is a yeah. valid And actually I will go this this might be shocking to some of your listeners, but with the advent and increase of medication abortion, mm -hmm. there are patients who have medically difficult issues around contraception. And for some people, it is a valid choice to not use those methods of contraception and to simply use medication abortion as a method for controlling their family mm -hmm. size. Mm -hmm. So I think there's just a lot of change coming, but it just requires so much education. And yeah. education is hard enough as it is, but we're also pushing back against a lot of misinformation and stigma and lies. And um, that's why what you're doing, the work that you're doing is so important, is that you're, you're helping to 
you're helping to comfort and, and assure people, but you're also sharing information that's valid. And I just think it's wonderful what you're doing. Mm, thank you. Yeah, and the more that we can talk about all these complicated feelings that come up afterwards, the, to me, that's how we break down the walls. That's how we break down the stigma. So there's still so many things that I totally need to wrap up, but it's just like thinking about, you know, coming back to the religion conversation and the dynamic of being a sexual human being and wanting to be intimate with partners and then seeing birth control in some cases as, as evil and terrible oh, as yeah. the intimacy itself. And like, just the storm of things happening in our brains and in our bodies and in our hearts and in our, it's, it's so complicated and we just have to keep talking about it. Yeah. We have to keep yeah. talking about it and learning and reflecting on where those ideas are coming from and yeah. who's, who's got an agenda about that. What is the agenda? Yeah. You know, what, what does it benefit someone to shame another person around their sexuality? Those are, those are, questions that we all need to ask continually uh, and just try to trust our own inner judgment. Yeah. Yeah. Mm, oh my goodness. Okay. I have to stop us. Um, this is, you know, sometimes I record an episode. I'm like, I need to release it today because it's good. <laughs> but we'll oh. wait. And our listeners will get it just when they're meant to. But thank you so much for being here. Um, I was just on your website. Are you open to people reaching out to you? Is that absolutely? Yeah. Okay. There must have been a contact form or something. I just yes, there is. Yeah. There yeah. is, and I, I would love for people to reach out. Um, I'm open to having any kind of conversation through email or text or even to talk on the phone. Yeah. And I encourage anybody to, if they are feeling like they would like to share their own story of having more than one abortion, I. I ask them to do that because that's how we break the stigmas. We, we open up and it can be anonymous if they, if they choose. Um, so anyway, I hope, yeah, I hope beautiful. somebody will reach out. And, and we just, will link, but if you want to run there now, it's two plus abortions.com and it's um, two as in the number two. Right. So the two plus P L U S abortions with an S.com. And it's a non-monetized uh, stigma fighting project. So you won't be asked for donations or, uh, you know, to buy products. And there's no ads. It's just strictly um, non-monetized anti-stigma project. So anyway, I would appreciate people to, to check it out. Yeah, it's beautiful. Thank you so much and have a beautiful day. Thank you for having me. It's been wonderful. Until the next podcast. Thanks for listening, and as always, please consider sharing, rating, and reviewing this podcast. It helps me reach a wider audience and invites more people to thrive after abortion. If you're someone who chose abortion and find yourself struggling, hiding, or wishing you could move beyond your experience, head over to my website and book a free call. We'll talk about how you can start living the life you made your choice for.